Hey, everybody. Connor and I work really hard to try to bring the best podcast in cell storage that we can. We ask a lot of guests. We do a lot of research and a lot of work goes into it. If you could help us out by leaving a review, it's so easy. You just go down on whatever device, Spotify, Apple, whatever you're using, leave a great review. It really helps us out. Thanks, everybody. One of the best ways to optimize management and to increase the value of your self-storage facility is through property management. And that means you're going to need really good property management software. That's where Tenant Inc. comes in. These guys have a huge amount of tools at your fingertips that you guys can deploy to extract the maximum amount of value at your storage facility. Again, this is Tenant Inc. Be sure to check them out. They're all things property management. It's truly your one-stop shop. Check them out. Link is in the show notes. Welcome everybody back to the Self Storage Income Podcast. You got me, Connor, hanging out today. AJ is running a little late today. He might be jumping in uh, halfway through the podcast. We'll see what ends up happening. Um, but as you know, AJ's a busy guy. But uh, today's going to be another special episode. We've got an incredible guest hanging out with us today uh, who you might recognize. We've had her on the podcast before. Um, incredible, incredible asset in the self-storage industry as far as all things self-storage uh, lending. She's the head of lending at Live Oak Bank. Anna Taylor, uh, how's it going? Hey, Connor, I'm doing well, doing well. It's a, you know, another great day to be in the self-storage business, that's for sure. Um, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. No, it's exciting to have you back on. Uh, I know it was uh, back in September, I think it was, when we had you on last. So it's been a little bit. And, uh, and man, there has been, I was kind of joking before the podcast here, that there hasn't been any changes or things going on in the economy since September of uh, 2022. Now we're into... Mm -hmm. uh, March of 23. And, and man, there has been a lot of changes, a lot of things going on. Um, I would love to just kind of recap. Well, honestly, if anybody hasn't, uh, doesn't know Anna and her background in storage, go back and listen to that episode and, uh, and dive into that there. Um, first and foremost, Anna, I mean, what are you guys seeing over at Live Oak Bank as far as lending, uh, as far as all of these different things going on and, and the impacts of the changes in, in the economy? I mean, just high level updates. What are you guys seeing? Yeah, no, it's I mean, it's certainly an unusual time. Um, the Fed is continuing to kind of push interest rates up as they're trying to kind of get a hold on um, the inflation that's kind of going through. Um, so far, the changes that they've made, they're seeing the things that they, the economy is responding the way that they want it to, which is encouraging that this isn't going to kind of continue, you know, forever. It seems like it's kind of slowing down. Um, and a lot of, um, you know, financial pundits are kind of projecting interest rates to kind of stabilize for a bit and then kind of um, fall towards the end of this year and through 2024. Um, so I think the most important thing is that we're open open for business. There's a lot of banks right now that are kind of seeing what's happening. They just want to put a pin on everything, especially new construction projects, um, and just kind of wait it out. Um, we are certainly still looking at good deals. There's still good deals to be had. Um, and so we are still looking at loan applications for you know acquisitions, new construction, expansions, and even some refinances as well. Man, that's so exciting to hear because yeah, there, I mean, we've seen a lot of a lot of deals fall out of contract, a lot of retrading, a lot of these uh, uncertain times. We've had struggles with with lenders 
and um, you know, especially on our developments, you know, just getting things done in, in a reasonable time frame. Um, there's there's just been uh, a ton of hiccups. It seems like with uh, what we've experienced so far, and it's super exciting to know that you guys are just forging ahead and um, and and just making things happen. Have you guys seen? You kind of you mentioned acquisitions, developments, all these different things. Have you seen? Like a change in uh, in transaction volume with everything going on, I've noticed that we are seeing less construction projects and more acquisitions proportionally. Um, you know, a year and a half, two years ago, I would say it was more construction projects and less acquisitions. Um, and I think part of that is just if you think about the acquisition market two years ago, it was kind of like the wild, wild west. There was a lot of, um, you know, big regional REIT buyers. Um, private equity was getting involved, and so a lot of, you know, facilities were being purchased on either cash or line of credit. Um, and it's kind of different now because they've kind of taken a step back. Um, so we're seeing more acquisitions proportionally and less construction projects, um, but we're still kind of seeing a good mix of of both. Um, and I definitely can tell that that banks are pulling back, especially in the new construction market, just because I've never had so many emails from mortgage brokers in my career. I've been working in lending specifically in self-storage for over seven years. Um, and just the amount of mortgage brokers that are out there trying to place debt, I can tell that their banks of record have kind of put a pin in things for a little bit. Interesting. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, interesting to hear for sure. And um, we definitely got to got to get creative sometimes, it seems like, especially in these times where, you know, we're going through these market cycles. And, and you you were with Live Oak for how long? I've been at the bank for over 10 years now and yeah. working on the self-storage team for over seven. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you've seen a lot of that, like, kind of cyclic nature of, of what we're seeing oh, yeah. and how things are going. And, and how does this relate to some of those experiences in the past, would you say? Oh, man, it's so interesting to think back. I mean, I think about the construction booms that happened in like 17 and 18. Um, and I think the thing that's that's crazy is that, I mean, doing due diligence is always important, but I think it's never been more important than it is today, at least in the seven years that I've been kind of lending in the space. Because I remember back in 16 and 17, before those that first construction boom happened after the recession, you know, my, um, my old boss, Terry Campbell, he, he's like, we need to have a feasibility study. We need to make sure that the site can support self-storage. And it was kind of a joke to me because every feasibility study we got back was always positive. I said, well, you know, why are we requiring these if it's always positive? He said, just just wait. There's a lot of, you know, markets that haven't seen new construction in, you know, seven plus years. There are a lot of underserved markets, but that's going to change. And I we're, we're definitely seeing that now that there's been so much construction that's happened between 2017 and now. Um, that that report is is so important because there are markets that are getting a little bit more saturated. But also, if you kind of layer in construction costs being you know more expensive than they used to be two years ago, three years ago, and then interest rates being higher, um, you know, a project that that would have worked two years ago may not work, um, you know, at today's rates or today's costs. But that's not to say that there's not good deals out there. Like if you're in a market with high rental rates, um, uh, high market occupancy, and you're able to kind of build it for a reasonable cost. If it if it works and it cash flows now and when things are not, you know, optimal, just think about if you push forward and you're the only person that builds in that market, you know, I think you're ultimately going to be rewarded um, when you get through construction and start leasing up because you're not going to be 
you know, competing with all those people. Think about the developers in, de- in de- uh, the Denver area in 2018 when all the developers kind of descended on the same area. It really drove rental rates down. So I think we have less risk of that, which is interesting. Um, so I think there's still good good markets to have, but it's an interesting time now um, to be lending. Um, and I think people that say categorically, like, I just don't want to do anything right now, I think they might miss a good opportunity that when times are better, there's probably going to be somebody else who's like, hey, I want to build in, in, in this time. So I think you need to kind of balance that. Um, I think it was Warren Buffett who said you have to be um, – uh, fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. I think there's a lot of fearful people right now. So I think if you're in a good market, um, it's still a good time to kind of move forward. No, I love that. And and like you said, it's just it, there is a huge balance there of, of supply and demand and opportunity. And we've kind of talked about these things on the podcast a little bit before as far as, you know, you have that shift in like the ability to execute on deals you know, it gets better, and then you have the availability of capital, like in that balance of, um, mm-hmm. of that whole scenario where, like, you're totally, totally right in my opinion as well. Is that there is massive opportunity right now to to push forward and to be able to make deals work in times that, again, if a deal works now, and, and a good deal is always a good deal. Really, is is kind of what we're getting at here, and um, mm-hmm. th- there's there's so much to that, especially in the development world where you do have such a long tail on these development projects where you're looking out three plus years, you know, to get something out of the ground. Um, it can be, it can be a heavy lift, but um, if a good deal is a, it's a, it's a good deal. Um, are you guys seeing a lot of people getting in trouble and those, those developments not happening because of oversaturation or increased costs or any of those things? We definitely work with people that will that say, "Hey, I've I've had this land in my family forever. I want to think about developing it for self storage," or you know they've got this thing they think it's a perfect project, and then the feasibility study will come back negative. Um, so that's that's certainly happening. But I think that would happen in kind of any market. We're seeing projects that have gotten a little bit tighter as interest rates go up, and so I think the projects that still make sense are ones where you have stronger market, like I mentioned, higher rental rates, higher market occupancy, maybe a stronger guarantor that can say, okay, interest rates went up a little bit, I can put a little bit more money down. If you're the kind of guy that you had this project and it all, you know, worked out only if the stars, you know, aligned where you could, you know, that may not work anymore. And so you want to be working with people that are focused on finding a path forward, but also working with a lender that's, you know, trying to find a path forward as well. Um, you know, you mentioned there's such a long, you know, process to these new development projects. You're right. It could be three years to get it out of the ground and get it fully stabilized. So if it's tricky right now, is your lender going to structure it the right way to help support you through that time? Um, you know, for us, when we're looking at a new construction project, if we're doing SBA or conventional, you know, we're doing extended interest only beyond just the construction period. So sometimes I'll do three, three and a half, four years of interest only depending on the size and scope of the project, to give them ample time to get it built, lease it up before those P&I payments kick in. And then we're also helping them out with an interest reserve and working capital. So to your point on the people that push forward when times are tough, like I think they are going to be ultimately rewarded because less people are, are developing. Um, and they'll have that support through interest only and working capital through kind of the, the times when interest rates are elevated. And then I think by the time they stabilize out, they're going to make out like bandits because they're going to have so much more control over what they can charge for their units compared to if you're you know, developing when there's six new developments within a five-mile radius. You're not going to have control over your pricing um, 
compared to if you're the only one that has moved forward and has a, a nice premium product. Absolutely. No, and that's, that's such a good point, too, as far as uh, those individuals looking to build a storage portfolio is having those new assets in your portfolio. Uh, it's, it's, it's from a value standpoint, it's a uh, massive, massive shot in the arm and makes a ton of sense. Um, another thing you're really hitting on, too, is just that importance of, of having those experts in your corner, whether it's your lender or whoever, whoever's involved in this process of uh, in feasibility studies, all these different things. It's so important to get these people in your corner that actually know the asset and can plan accordingly so you don't get in trouble. Oh, absolutely. And I know that from personal experience. You know, I've been lending in self-storage for a long time. And then I was like, man, I'm sick of watching other people make money off of this. I see how great it works. I want to do it myself. And I was looking at a couple of different projects and there was one, um, it was a piece of land in my hometown. I, I saw this, uh, you know, I, I was like, this is great. It's kind of in the last little pocket um, of zoning um, before you'd have to be really pushed out to the fringes. And I got a feasibility study on it. And the feasibility study expert was like, it works if you do 40,000 square feet. Like, if it, like I don't know that you're going to absor- absorb much more than that. And for my underwriting model, the land was so expensive. I was like, well, I really need to have like 65, 70,000 square feet. Um, and, you know, he was the one that said, I don't know that that, that is going to happen. And that is what I kind of needed to hear. I was really, you know, really trying to make the project work when I needed that expert, that partner to say, hey, not right now. And then later when I found when I found the other property that I was looking at buying, I was like, hey, it's an acquisition. There's this extra land. I want to add some climate control. He was like, absolutely all day long. If you're not going to do it, I want to do it. And that was the kind of, you know, the, the shot in the arm that I really needed. Like, okay, this is the good, this is the good opportunity. But he also saved me from making a, you know, multi-million dollar mistake. Um, so I definitely recommend kind of getting an expert, working with the right people that can help set you up to be successful. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and that's awesome. That's really cool. So like, I just want to touch on this real fast. You're an investor as well, an owner-operator. Yes. Yeah. yeah, no, I went in. Um, it's just my husband and I, we, we bought something um, where we got we bought a storage facility. We found a self-storage facility across the street that was just for boats. We bought that as well. And then we're um, moving forward with a construction of about 30,000 square feet of climate control. So it's been really fun to kind of be on the other side of it because I've been kind of rooting for my customers for years and watching them be successful. It's so, so cool to be a part of the industry in that way now. No, that is. It's a, it's a different world for sure. Um, you know, learning all those granular things through management and running and owning and operating facilities. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a crazy world, but it's, it's awesome. It's a, it's a really good industry to be a part of. And um, I mean, just working with people like you, um, it's just been amazing where uh, the storage industry is just such an open and welcome and inviting industry. And uh, it's just it's a good good thing to be a part of. Um, kind of going back to back to the lending, I had a, uh, a question that somebody had asked me recently about uh, the timing specifically for development projects. So um, what they were running into was they were getting they were able to get through the, the permitting process and mm-hmm they were getting their permits in hand before the construction loan was getting finalized. And so they were sitting with permits and not able to do anything. And so like, what, what would you suggest and how would you address that to be able to, and is there a way to be able to hit the ground running as soon as you get your permits in hand, you've planned ahead, you got everything, ducks in a row, you can hit the ground running day one as soon as you get permits to start building. How would, how would that look? 
Yeah, well, I would definitely recommend not waiting until you have permits to, to talk with a lender. I mean, I know there's some lenders out there that say, hey, basically, don't even call me until you have permits and, and, and things like that. But we're willing to work with you so we can kind of, as you're working on the, the permits, we can get you kind of underwritten and approved. That way, you can time your loan closing with when you get your permits. That way, you can start construction as soon as possible. Um, I would definitely recommend recommend that. I think it really is never too soon to start talking to a lender if you've got something under contract, um, unless there's like a, a rezoning piece that, you know, is kind of a question mark in terms of how long that can take. Um, but yeah, you definitely don't want to be in the situation where you're sitting holding on to your permit and then tr- looking for a way to, to finance it. So I would say, you know, speak with the lender. We are, we are love talking to people. We want you to come to us before you have your permit. That way, you know, if, 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 if it were me and I'm spending a lot of money on architect and engineering, I would like to have the security to know that a bank has kind of looked at my project, underwritten and approved me as I'm writing those checks. Because I know it takes a lot of money just to get to the point where you have those permits. So um, I would recommend, you know, talking with a lender um, early on in the process. That way, ideally, you'd want to be able to time your loan closing with when you get those permits. And so when you close your loan, you're starting construction as soon as you can. Yeah, good. All great points. And, and uh, you're, you're touching on another thing that's uh, something that we kind of live by is getting those experts in, not only working with the experts, but getting them in day one. You know, as soon as you're looking at a facility and analyzing something and you're doing your feasibility studies and due diligence, you know, letting those, those preferred partners that you work with, whether it's your lender or your builder, whatever that is, getting them in as soon as humanly possible to make sure that you are seeing everything and that you're not missing big chunks and that you are able to execute as efficiently as possible um, for scenarios like this. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, Especially because, you know, a lot of times these projects, especially in the new construction side, it's such a huge outlay of your own personal cash. Um, And so I'd say, you know, work with me. Let me do all the work that I can that doesn't cost you a dime to make sure that, that, you know, we're on the right track here. Because I would hate for someone to say, I've already spent, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on my project. Um, and then for some reason, you know, they don't, they don't qualify. I'd, li- I'd rather work with people from the beginning so we can do the qualification up front. And then they, they have that confidence to know that if banks backing them, they, you know, have a commitment as they kind of progress with their, their project getting towards permits. And on the acquisition side, I think that that is, is true as well. I mean, I talk to a lot of people that don't even have something under contract yet, but I'm saying kind of, I will let go through like, hey, this is what we're looking for. This is what we're going to want to see from the facility. But also, regardless of whatever facility you pick, here's what we want to see from you. So that way they know kind of what we're looking for and they don't, um, you know, waste time on a property that's not going to meet our underwriting criteria. But they also understand what we're looking for from from them in terms of, you know, what kind of financial strength we want to see them have, you know, what documentation they need to have ready. And that way, went to your point, when they are ready to apply for a loan, it's nice to have everything kind of ready to go. Obviously, one of the biggest pieces of the puzzle when investing in self-storage is funding and financing. Where are you getting your money from? Honestly, I hope you guys are getting it from Live Oak Bank. The people over there are absolutely incredible. They have an amazing team who knows and understands the underwriting of self-storage, the valuation of self-storage. They can work and coincide with you and your team in evaluating a deal and financing a deal, securing that financing and actually closing on an amazing deal and an amazing self-storage investment opportunity. Be sure to check them out again, Live Oak Bank. 
All right, guys. So whether we're building a storage facility or, you know, we've got a facility that we've owned for however long or we're acquiring a facility that's, you know, 30 years old, whatever that is, we're always looking for ways to increase value, right? We're looking for that value add. One of the best ways to do that is through Janus International. Their R3 program, which is essentially a rehabilitation program for self-storage facilities, <laughs> which is drastically needed in so many cases, right? And they need a major facelift. They need new doors. They need new roofs. They need new siding. They need new gates and technology. Janus International provides those solutions for you. Check out the link in the show notes. Bring up that value storage facility and get in touch with Janus International. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, those timelines are huge, right? I mean, being able to get in, being able to close, you know, as quickly as possible, being able to get the facility turned around or, you know, a lot of stuff we do is value add, obviously, and what a lot mm -hmm. of investors are looking at. And so, yeah, being able to get in and execute on those plans day one and not be hung up and having to go back to the drawing board and redo something or any of that. I mean, the time savings is huge. And the opportunity cost of, of mistakes is almost incalculable, right? <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. It's like, don't waste your time. Don't waste anybody else's time. Just go in uh, guns blazing with your team, you know, to start with and, uh, and execute really well. Um, speaking to that, what, what is it that you as a lender are looking for and that lenders are generally looking for that, you know, listeners can kind of make a list of like, okay, these are the things I really need to look at. These are the most important metrics or the most important documents. You talked mm -hmm. about these things that you guys look for. What, what are those things? So I always like to tell people when I'm talking to them on the phone for the first time, you know, we're looking for a good project, but we're also looking for a good person. So on the project side for us, you know, the most important thing for me is, is cash flow coverage, debt service coverage. Um, because I just want to make sure that the facility is going to be able to support debt, but also provide a profit for you. I'm never going to close a loan for someone that where it's not going to show that they're making a, a profit. I want people to go into this business to make money. Um, and so, and I understand to your point that some of the best opportunities out there are those value adds. So I'm not going to say, oh, you know what? I looked at the seller's P&L from last year and it doesn't look so good. Like I'm, I'm, I have seen it over and over again of these sharp operators coming in probably a you know an older facility maybe the you know the owner built it 20 years ago and isn't really giving it the kind of attention and love that it needs um, there's a lot of um, cost savings they could do from implementing software um, automating a lot of the business processes so most of the time we're underwriting off of someone's projections and because we look at self-storage over and over and over again we can really kind of cut through to see okay these projections seem to make sense. We've seen people kind of have that kind of trajectory of someone is saying, hey, that they're going to, you know, over the course of the first year, raise rents 20%, eliminate these expenses. We'll say, okay, that seems reasonable. If someone says, I'm in a triple NOI, you know, in three months, that's when I can say like, hey, I, you know, you're dreaming. Or I'm going to run this at a 95% margin. I'll say, okay, well, that's, you know, that's going to be dang near impossible to do. Um, but so, you know, that that's what kind of what we're looking for in the facilities. We want to see, like, yes, you know, we're giving you a loan. We want to make sure you can pay it back. But I want you to be able to pay it back and take home a healthy profit. Um, so debt service coverage is important to us because we want to want to see that um, on the on the, you know, on the guarantor side or on the borrower side. What we're looking for from people is, you know, just boring things any bank would look for. Like, obviously, good credit is important. Um, 
you know, we're going to want to look at a personal financial statement to see, okay, where's the equity injection coming from? Are you raising money from investors? How much are you putting in personally? How much money are you going to have left over after the fact? We'll take a look at, you know, tax returns to take a look at their income to see, okay, what are their different income sources? Um, and it's kind of a sliding scale. Like, I wouldn't expect someone who's coming to me for a $600,000 acquisition, they don't have to make as much as someone doing a $6 million new development deal. It's definitely a sliding scale. We want to make sure that it, the strength of the guarantor is commensurate with the scope of the, the project. So the bigger, the more complex the project, you're going to have to be coming with more guarantor strength. And then the most important thing to me is always a plan for success. Um, and I can, from, from working with people from seven years, when you talk to someone that you can tell has really thought this through, super excited about their project, has a clearly defined path towards taking maybe an underperforming facility and making it, it successful or taking a patch of dirt and adding a four-story self-storage, they've kind of thought through all of the steps. They're, they're thinking about what vendors they're going to use. They're thinking about what, um, you know, management software they're going to use. Um, those are the people that I'm excited to work with. I don't want to work with people that are like, oh, I heard like self-storage is a good industry or, uh, you know, I just, uh, I heard it's really easy and anybody can do it. Like it is a great business and, and you're right. It's a, a very inclusive business. Everybody's looking to kind of help each other and it's a great business, but you do need to give, um, you know, get a plan together and be able to articulate that to somebody else, especially if you're going to be asking them for millions of dollars. It's always a good idea having a yeah. having a good game plan. <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean we hear it all the time though, right? Like storage, it's just, it's such a cash cow, and anybody can do it, and it's easy, and and that's and it's always I mean, the people that aren't in self storage that say anybody can do it, and it's so easy. And it's like, well, if it is, why aren't you doing it? <laughs> exactly right, and and why are these other facilities, you know, uh, going bankrupt and losing money and and deals and things like that? I mean. It happens, you know, and, and it isn't a totally passive and hands-off deal. I mean, we bought a ton of facilities um, that were in distress. We bought a ton of facilities that were very mismanaged, and they're yeah. amazing opportunities, like you said. Um, but uh, no, that's that's phenomenal and invaluable insight for somebody looking to to come in and and uh, secure, you know, a lender and, and what those lenders are looking for and what's important to them. And, uh, and having that solid business plan of how it's going to work, but then like also how it's going to fail. You know, what are the, what are the pitfalls? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great point. So uh, do you, because like you're talking about is, it's like those red flags really come up, especially when we're talking to, you know, uh, to builders or any of these other people that we work with. And, and um, it, when people say those things, like it's easy and anybody can do it and all this other stuff, mm-hmm. it's like, well, okay, that's a red flag, like moving on. Um, because like you said, it's just kind of an indicator of someone potentially really not understanding the asset as a whole and uh, just using those those repetitive kind of talking points and such. Um, let's say you kind of touched a little bit on like that structure of uh, securing a lender and what that process looks like. And uh, like, it, it, what would you say as far as the process of, if I was a first time self storage uh, buyer. I was going out, I was looking at the, the different markets. I, I kind of have my criteria of what I'm looking for. And I wanted to, let's say I wanted to go the either the SBA route or the conventional route. Like, how, what does that process look like to go through? Like, what are the steps? What's the time frame look like for either sure. one of those? Um, just to kind of give some insight of, of if that was what I was going to do, what could I expect? Yeah, so I always like to start um you know, if, if, if 
people are listening and they haven't gotten to the point where they found a project, they haven't found something they want to get under contract and acquire or, or a construction project, um, you can still speak with a lender to learn more about kind of what we require. We do office hours um, every other Tuesday where we basically go through like, here are our financing programs, here's what we're looking for. It's great for people that have kind of like probably discovered the industry, they really want to get in it and they're not really sure how to start. Um, so I think that's that's a good good bet. And then a lot of times you kind of get more serious with your lender once you're under LOI or got it under contract. So you know, okay, there's a fish on the line here. Um, as soon as that happens, I like to send the application out right away. Like typically I'll have a call so I can go over, hey, this is what we're looking for in the facility. Here's what we're going to expect from you. Because someone might say like, oh, shoot, like I've got a 500 credit score. And I'd say, well, you know, probably can't help you. Um, but if I kind of go through, here's what we're looking for in the, in the facility, here's the guarantor requirements we're looking for from you, um, send out the application. Because to me, day the, like the clock starts when the application is completed, not when you get the facility under contract. So I've seen some people that complete the application in less than an hour, and then other people, I'm chasing them down for their tax returns for like weeks. So if you really are serious about, you know, um, self-storage, you want to buy a facility, you want to build a facility, you know, one thing that you can do now is get your house in order, get, you know, tax returns and PDF on your computer ready to go, um, be able to fill out a, a personal financial statement. A lot of times lenders, like if you have your own kind of format, a lot of lenders, as long as it covers the same thing that they're going to be looking for, they'll accept it. Um, but getting organized in that way is important. Um, but, you know, once the application is completed, you know, typically the, the lenders on my team will look at it maybe one or two days and then if everything looks good have a proposal letter out to you to, so you can see exactly you know structure interest rate terms the whole kit and caboodle if you know working capital if you need it or not um, and then for us it's it's um, underwriting and credit approval is two weeks or less so you can know really quickly you know do you have the right stuff and can you get to a to a commitment in terms of completing the application to close for an acquisition I like to have about 60 days for SBA um, 45 days for conventional. I mean, we've done it faster both times, but I feel like that's just a good average time. Um, and on the construction side, I think the most important thing is kind of to your point on permits is when are you going to be able to start construction? Because I don't want to close a loan if you're not ready to start construction. Um, so we really want to time um, the closing of your loan with when you're going to be able to get those permits. So if you can get it within, you know, like 60 days, that's great. We can certainly, uh, you know, do that. But we're never going to want to close a loan and then it'll be like four months until you get permits because then you're burning through your interest only period and your interest reserve when you're not really moving your project forward. So many just incredible points there. And, and like, thanks for breaking all that down because that, that just provides some invaluable insight into to what that whole scenario looks like for either one of those, you know, acquisition or development. And there's so many just, just amazing insights as to how to streamline that process how to make it as easy as possible, what to expect. Um, there's a lot of, one of the things as you were talking, uh, there's a lot of like creative financing going on out there with seller financing specifically. How do how does that work? Let's say, let's say I wanted to do an SBA for 90% and then I was gonna do seller finance for the other 10. Like mm -hmm. how does that work and how would that work as far as me showing, you know, my uh, personal financial statement and that, uh, you know, paper trail of capital for you guys? How does that work? Sure. And that's a, a great question um, because you, if you want to use a seller note within an SBA loan, you absolutely can. But if you want it to count towards the equity injection, it can never be the total equity injection. 
the SBA wants to see that you have it if, if it's, you know, um, let's just make the, the numbers round so it's easy. If it's like a million dollar total project cost and you want 90% financing, that means we're going to lend you 900000 and you have to put $100,000 down. You could not have a seller note for that full $100,000. The SBA likes to see that you're putting down a little more than half. Um, so let's say it's like 51000 is going to come from you. Um, and then the seller can take back the other piece. The thing that makes it tricky is that for it to count towards the equity injection, the seller note has to be on full standby for the life of the loan, which means no payments for the life of the loan, which is 25 years. So I haven't seen a lot of sellers that have kind of agreed to that. Um, not to say that that's not possible, but that's just a big ask for them. But what I have seen a lot of times is, um, you know, sellers kind of, I think they like having a seller note. I think it's like the, they're getting some cash incrementally over the next five or so years. So I tell people like, hey, you know, you know what the equity injection is. You can come up with that on your own. But if the seller is willing to give you like take back, you know, $400,000 of the purchase price and he's going to give you like a 50-year amortization and 2% interest rate, absolutely go do that. As long as he agrees to be in a second lien behind the, the bank's first mortgage, do that because it's going to save you proportionally on your on your debt service. Um, but it is a question that uh, that I get a lot. And then I'll, the other question is, okay, well, if I have a seller note, you know, how long until I can take it out with other financing? Um, on the conventional side, I don't care. I'll take it out the day after you take it if you want to. Um, but on the SBA side, if you have a seller note, we cannot uh, refinance it unless it's been kind of on the books for two years and you're you're current on all your payments. Gotcha. That's that's another really good point to talk about is those those time horizons and timing because a lot of people have that idea um, and especially a lot of what we talk about is you know doing that refi at year three to five um, and being able to plan ahead for those scenarios and know exactly what the the your position is going to look like at that point in time um, because it would be a super bummer if <laughs> you plan to do a, a refi and come to find out you've got a you know you, you have something totally unexpected that you didn't plan on and you just thought you were gonna exit at this amazing, you know, cap rate or whatever it is. So uh, good things to be thinking about. Um, one of the things too that I was going to ta talk to the, uh, the the capital raising side as well. Let's say I'm coming in, I'm just going to raise some money with investors. They're going to put down however much the 30%. Let's say, how does that scenario break down? Yeah, no, absolutely. A lot of people think that they can't take money in from investors, especially on an SBA loan. That's not true. You can certainly raise money from investors. Um, you know, at the bank, we're going to want to see that you've got a little bit of skin in the game. It doesn't have to be a big amount, but just an amount that's meaningful to you because we want to make sure that other than your personal guarantee, you're also like invested in this as well. Um, but I, you know, on the SBA side, I would say keep your investors, limit their individual ownership to under 20% because that's the tripping point to have to provide a personal guarantee. So a lot of times these investors, they're happy to you know, provide um, some capital to help you purchase the facility, but they don't want to sign on the dotted line. Um, so if you have that, someone who wants to be kind of a passive investor in, in your business, a you know, limited partner, if you will, um, on the SBA side, I would keep their ownership under uh, under 20%, but we're, we're certainly comfortable with it. We've got customers that are doing deals with investors all the time, um, and it's, it's something we're perfectly comfortable with. That's awesome. I actually I hadn't even thought about that dynamic of whether or not you could raise uh, capital for an SBA loan or not. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, um, totally can. Yeah, no, that's that's such good insight because there's so many people out there that are doing that. Um, do you 
do you see more conventional or more SBA from what from what you guys are doing right now? Well, so we're the largest SBA lender in the country, um, and and the kind of SBA loan data is public record, so you can kind of pull it. I was looking through it last week and kind of doing it, and you know, Live Oak Bank we're one of hundreds of banks that do SBA loans for self storage, um, but we actually were fifty four percent of the of all SBA 7A loans closed for self-storage were funded through Live Oak Bank. So we are very dominant in the SBA space. So I would say we're still doing a lot of SBA, but I think that's just because that's what we're known for. Um, we've got a really good reputation out there for doing those loans. We've, you know, conventional is something that's more recently come online in the last year. Um, but I'm really excited about it because for a long time when I was talking to someone, if they were clearly a conventional kind of customer uh, with what we want to fit, it was hard to be like, okay, well, I really wish I could help you, but we're kind of, you don't fit our, what we're looking for on the SBA side. It's really exciting now, you know, basically anyone who calls and, and is interested in self-storage financing, you know, we can help them now, which is great. And I think the thing that I really love on the conventional space is because we have such deep knowledge of self-storage from doing it on the SBA side for so well. We've kind of taken this the the importance of working capital that we've seen on the on the SBA side, and we've still kept that with conventional, because a lot of times the gaps that I saw in conventional term sheets and, um, and that I would see from other banks would be they say okay construction 12 months of interest only we'll give you an interest reserve and they just don't realize because they probably haven't financed a lot of self storage that the risk is not in construction the risk is in that lease up period because it's going to take you know especially in a bigger project it might take over two years of incrementally adding um, occupancy before you reach your break-even point. So if you don't have extended interest only and working capital built into your financing, that means that's coming out of your pocket after you've already put in your equity injection before construction got started. Um, and so I'm really excited to be in the conventional space because I think our, we kind of know how to structure it. We realize how important that the working capital is. And now with kind of you know the economy being a little bit more uncertain, I think interest only and working capital is going to be more important than ever because it's not like you're operating under kind of ideal market conditions. It's so true. So true. We're kind of in unprecedented waters or, or uh, uncharted waters, that should be. Right. Um, there, there's a lot of uncertainty out there for sure. Uh, I, I totally agree with kind of where your analysis was with the interest rates and what we could probably expect to see there. Um, that's pretty much the consensus I've been hearing, you know, those, those rates potentially coming back down a little bit into 23-ish. And uh, hopefully that'll be kind of the case. I know the market doesn't generally like to get surprised by the Fed, so <laughs> yeah. hopefully that'll not happen, but you never know, you never know. So uh, no, that's super exciting. What, uh, what would you say are like the biggest problems that you guys are, are seeing and solving right now? I would say the biggest thing would just be kind of navigating the interest rates going up so quickly. I think, thankfully, I think we've reached kind of the where I think we're pretty near the top. I think it's going to start coasting back down. But for a while, it was tough. There were projects that looked great, you know, 18 months ago. And, and even if rental rates are going up, you know, 10% year over year, if you have this huge increase in, in interest rates, you can't maybe finance the project at the same leverage point that you could, you know, a year and a half ago. So I think that's that's the the biggest pressure on there. But again, okay, so less, you know, it's kind of like the cream rises to the top. There's still good projects out there. And I think the more strength that you have to play with, the more likely, you know, your project is to kind of still move forward. So again, those good interest rates, I'm um, oh, sorry, good um, rental rates, strong market occupancy. Like if you're in a market where you're getting $300 for a 10 by 10, like 
and no one else is building, absolutely move forward right now. Because you don't want to say, oh, okay, I'm going to wait till times are better. There's probably six other people saying, I want to wait until times are better. Um, so, you know, if you've, if you've done your homework, you're like, man, this seems like a good opportunity. I've got the interest only in the working capital to help you ride out the tough times. Um, and then by the time you reach a comfortable occupancy, interest rates are probably going to be a lot lower if kind of what all the, you know, the financial pundits are, are predicting. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to finance a project saying, well, I think interest rates are going to be lower. So by the time they're lower, this project looks good. I'm never going to improve. Like, I'm looking at today's rates and shocking it. So if it works today, you know, I think those are the ones to kind of take a look at, and especially if you're in those, those good markets. Um, and the one, markets that are more difficult to get a permit. I always like working with people in, in tricky permitting environments. Um, you know, some states are harder to get a permit than others. Some areas are harder to get a permit than others. But if you're working with that one guy that's went through the slog of getting that permit and it was really tough to do, I love it because, A, the rental rates in that area are probably super high. But, B, the chances of somebody else opening up down the road six months after him are pretty low. No, I love that. That is that is pure gold right there. Everything that you just talked about um, is huge. Uh, and it just is going to help a ton of people out there as far as navigating all of this stuff. And two, one of the things we've kind of talked about a little bit before on the podcast is, um, you know, we're talking about the, this rise in interest rates and these these economic conditions and these things that we're seeing going on. But uh, it would we're viewing this as really just being kind of a return to some kind of normalcy, right? You know, right. we've had just unprecedented occupancy, you know, for the last couple, three years, whatever that is now. And uh, we've had just amazing, amazing times with uh, the interest rates being so low and and all these different things. But now we're just really kind of returning to a normal. And it's not, and I love how you just worded everything. Like the timing right now is fantastic. Yeah, and I think, and that's a great point too, because if people are thinking about like, you know, are rates gonna return to where they were in the pandemic at like, you know, rock bottom? Probably not. are they going to be lower than they are today? I think absolutely. Um, so I think you're totally right there about kind of we're, we're finding a little bit of, of normalcy after going through a lot of, you know, really big kind of just macro economic factors that that kind of rocked the, the economy um, in a lot of ways. It helped self-storage in a lot of ways. I mean, I don't think that, you know, some markets had rental rates going up 26 percent in one year, which was pretty crazy. Um but yeah, I think people that are expecting it to go back down all the way to where it was in 2020 probably not going to happen. Um, but I do think we're going to find kind of a you know be a little bit more um, in the middle of the bell curve. No, I absolutely love that, and uh, and it's just I, I couldn't agree more. And I think that's a fantastic place to kind of wrap it up and say that, I mean, it's always a good time to invest. Like get out there and make it happen. Like now yeah, is absolutely. perfect timing. Um, that said, how can people reach out to you, connect with you, Live Oak, get inf- more information on the different services that you guys offer, get more information? Where do you want people to go? Sure. So you can always reach out to me directly. Um, my direct line at the bank is 910-550-2272. You can also shoot me an email. Um, it's anna.taylor at liveoak.bank. So that's A-N-N-A dot Taylor at liveoak.bank. Um, check out our website. We've got a ton of resources on there. Um, you can also sign up for the, the office hours that I mentioned. If you just want to learn more about self-storage in general, our loan, um, loan programs, it's on our website on the self-storage landing page. 
Awesome, Anna. Well, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate you coming in, sharing your knowledge with everybody here on the podcast. You guys are just fantastic. We love having you guys on and, and working with you guys. Uh, you just we, we couldn't ask for anything better or anything more. So really appreciate oh, well, you. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation. You bet. We'll catch you next time. Thanks.